The voices may be a little tired this evening. It's been a, a long week, but certainly a week that we cherish and count as a great blessing that we've been able to spend with you. And uh, as we close the meeting this evening, I'm going to ask for your patience for just a few minutes. And my wife told me to be careful saying that phrase, few minutes, because I don't want to lie to you good people. But I don't intend to speak for very long this evening, but I would like to talk about a few things to kind of sum up our time with you and to leave you with some admonition and encouragement about the importance of the church. And I think weeks like this are a great reminder to us of the joy that we can have when we come together so often for a very particular purpose and we understand the importance of the fellowship that we have within the body of Christ. And we are thankful for each and every one of you. And we truly count you as our family. We count you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I hope and pray that those are more than just words of greeting that we give to one another when we walk into buildings together. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from, this first, from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul penned these letters or these epistles to these congregations to which he had come across in his journeys and establishing congregations and encouraging these brethren, he developed relationships. And I believe as he was inspired to write those words down, those words also flowed from his heart to his brethren. And as he talked to them and communicated with them through this letter and said that he thanked God for every remembrance of them, I think you and I can enjoy the same types of relationship in the church today. And I think that ought to be our goal. You know, last Saturday or last Sunday morning, we walked into this building and you could just feel the excitement in the air as this meeting was getting kicked off. And we hugged necks and we shook hands and we introduced one another again and we looked at a week that we were going to have ahead of us. Tonight, we're weary, we're tired. <laughs> there may be a few tears as we depart. And I'm thankful that we have those type of emotions in the church because that illustrates that this really means something to us. If this was just a building that we could come to and be comfortable as we study the Word of God and we sing songs and we praise God and we say prayers and then we just went about our life until next week, then we really miss out on what the Lord designed the church to be. His design for the church was to be a family and that we share a common bond with one another that's not a blood connection through our lineage physically but spiritually through the blood of Christ we have a connection that even Satan himself cannot touch and as you think about your brethren and the relationships that you have within the church this evening I hope and pray that these are the most precious people in the world to you 
Because they were to the Apostle Paul as he penned those letters. You see, God designed the church. And God designed the church for an intent purpose. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 says, Unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God's desire through the church is that all men would see what the fellowship of the mystery truly was. That mystery of salvation that was now preached in the present time of Jesus Christ was revealed to the world by the church. And you go back to the church in its very beginning as the gospel was preached in Acts chapter 2 and 3,000 souls obeyed. In verse 47 of that chapter it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So as people were coming, obeying the gospel, being baptized, they were added to the church, and this church was to operate as a family. As people who cared for one another, as people who looked out for one another, for people that encouraged one another. And I hope and pray that you have seen that this week. But I also pray that you see it every day of your life as you strive to glorify and serve God. He said it's by the church that... His manifold wisdom would be revealed to those principalities and powers. And sometimes we fail to realize the great blessing that we have in the church. And we don't realize the power that this family truly has. Angels desire to look into the very thing that you and I are blessed to be a part of. To angels, it is a foreign concept that God would allow them to be saved through repentance and the blood of Jesus Christ because they have no access to those things. But mankind does. And with our obedience to that gospel, as we obey Him and we serve Him in faith, He gives us a great blessing that ought to be the greatest encouragement to us, and that's our family in Christ. Don't forget how important the church ought to be to you in your life. Throughout the New Testament, it is described as that pearl of great price. It's described as an innocent group of people who are striving to serve God faithfully. It's described as a movement of individuals who have collectively shared of what they have so that they can make a difference and impact the lives of those that are around them. Jesus built this church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 says, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus established it for a purpose, and you and I are blessed to be a part of it. And too often we neglect the importance of our brothers and sisters in Christ in our daily life. Tonight I hope you see value in every brother and sister that's sitting around you here this evening. I hope that you, that you look to them and you look at them and you identify them not just as a close acquaintance, not just as someone that you meet a few times a week and you sing songs with, but you look at them and you say, this is my family. 
And if you need something as a brother in Christ, I am there to help meet that need. If I have a sister in Christ who is grieving and hurting, I'm there to provide comfort and encouragement to that sister. And whatever we need, the church can meet those needs because we all strive to be servants of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, or chapter 1 and verse 21 says, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is important to God. And if it's important to God, shouldn't it be important to you and I? Shouldn't it be where we invest our time? Shouldn't it be where we invest our energy? Shouldn't it be where we develop the kind of relationships that will sustain us through life? And so many times people sell the church short and they never really realize the blessing that the church can be in their life. But we've got a taste of heaven this week. And as we depart this evening, I promise you, before our boys fall asleep, there will be some tears as we're driving down the road because we have to say goodbye. Because right now in their life, you know the most important thing to them is opportunities like we've had this week. And I hear our young people talking about when's the next time we're going to be together and it's two weeks from now in Lubbock, Texas and some of them have already made plans to get together before then because they can't wait two weeks. Because these relationships are the most important things to them in their life. But then we grow up to be adults and we forget how important that is. But just because we become adults and we have our own homes and our own families that are very important to us, we can't neglect the importance of every brother and sister in Christ. And tonight you are blessed to be a part of this family and you need to appreciate the importance of the church in your daily life. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He gives us that example of how a husband ought to truly love his wife and that love ought to be a reflection of the love that Christ has for his church. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. And yes, we are members in particular, but we share something that's more important than anything else we could share with any other people on this earth. And that's our close relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. As I think about my relationship with my wife and my responsibility as a husband to love her as Christ loved the church and her relationship to me to submit herself to me as her husband, and we fulfill that commandment, you know, my wife is more than just my wife. She's my sister in Christ. And I ought to do everything in my power to encourage her to develop her relationship with God so that one day we can spend eternity together, not as husband and wife in heaven, but as brother and sister in Christ, because that's the relationship that will endure. And guess what? We get to have that relationship with everybody that's within the body of Christ. Serving Jesus as our head, submitting to His will, understanding the importance of that relationship and the importance of the fellowship that we enjoy with one another. You see, the church truly is a family.
1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul's instruction to Timothy that if he tarry long, that he may know how he ought to behave himself in the house of God. That word house of God or that phrase literally means a family, a household. He wasn't talking about a building or a structure in which people would go and meet at, but he's actually talking about a family. And you and I have that opportunity to be a part of the family of God through our obedience to the gospel of Christ today. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul addresses a group of people that they would receive a certain individual that he was very fond of as he had journeyed and worked. And, you know, these names that Paul often mentions aren't mentioned by accident, are they? And these names mean something. And as Paul is writing this letter and he's describing this man that we're going to discuss for a few moments this evening, I can imagine the pride and the joy that filled his heart as he looked back on the labor that they had been able to do together and the faithfulness of this good brother that he commends to these brethren. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21, the Bible says, "...but that you also may know my affairs and how I do." Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. There are four things that I think within these two verses the Apostle Paul identifies about Tychicus that if you and I would live up to in our individual walk with Christ, we would have such a great impact upon the lives of our brothers and sisters. The first one there is that we would be a beloved family member. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent you from the same, for the same, sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. What's it mean for someone to be a beloved brother? That means they mean something to you, right? Paul wouldn't say Tychicus was a beloved brother if Paul didn't have some type of fondness in his heart for Tychicus. What about your brethren that are here? I know it's easy to love our wives. It's easy to love our children. It's easy to love our aunts and our uncles and our grandparents. But if we truly are connected by the blood of Christ, when I look into the eyes of a fellow Christian, guess what I ought to see? I ought to see a beloved family member that I am encouraged to spend time with that I don't try to walk away from because they're getting on my nerves and I don't want to spend time with them. But because I love my brethren, then I want to be patient and tolerant and I want to love them as Christ loved the church and I want to love them in a way that would encourage them to grow closer to God. And Paul had that kind of care and concern for this man Tychicus as he sent him to update these congregation on his affairs and how he was doing in his travels and in his work and in his ministry. Do you love your brethren? Do you really love your brethren? You know, we see all these little kids this week and these young people this week and we tell them we love you. And in a small way, we feel like they're all of our kids, aren't they? I know Josiah, Ezra, Malachi, and Joy are my children, but in some way they feel connected to everyone else that's here. And I want you, when you look at them, to have a loving heart toward them. And when I look at your children, I ought to have a loving heart toward them to encourage them. 
And when the church is that loving and embraces one another with that type of love, the world is going to see that and the world is going to want to be a part of that. But for too long, some congregations have fought and bickered to such a state that you walk in and you just don't know if they really love one another. Aren't you thankful that you don't have that problem here in Plainview? Foster that type of environment of love and encouragement. Secondly, he identified Tychicus as a faithful minister or a faithful servant. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Again in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul writes, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We have to be faithful in our duties to Christ. And as I faithfully serve Christ, I faithfully serve my brethren, I faithfully perform what it is God asked me to do, I'm a good example. And we live up to that calling. And in doing that as a faithful minister, guess what? We encourage one another. How many of you like to be around people that encourage you? I think all of us do. Have you ever been around someone that everything out of their mouth was negative and discouraging? After a while, what do you want to do? (laughs) You want to separate yourself from those kind of people because they serve no purpose but to bring you down. And in the church, we ought to be people who are encouragers. There are some people that I can't help but be happy around. There are some people when they walk into a room, they have a smile on their face and it just moves my heart. That I'm sitting there thinking, man, are they really that happy all the time? But as you get to know them, they are. It doesn't mean everything in their life is perfect, but when they come together with their brethren, guess what? They're excited about the opportunity to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ because those relationships are what motivate us to grow closer to God. I want to encourage you to be a person that motivates others to grow closer to God. And you can do that by studying the Word of God with them. You can do that by showing your kindness. You can show that by smiling and having the right type of attitude towards your brethren. Simple things that all of us can do that would promote Jesus Christ to our friends and to our neighbors. You hear of someone who is having a difficult time in life, guess what you can do? You can be that serving family member that provides for them in a time of need and Most conversions, at least in my experience, most conversions, guess what they started out as? They started out with some type of benevolent act. Someone was hurting and in need of something, and someone from the church stepped in and met that need, and that opened the door of opportunity to show them why we have the love of Christ in our heart. And those opportunities are all around us. And we need to be willing to be that serving family member as Tychicus was in his work and his companionship with Paul. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says, And above all, the, all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as with the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We need to be a hospitable people. We need to be people who are willing to open our lives to one another and not be closed off as our society tends to teach us to be. Most people of my generation and younger, guess what? They don't really want to interact with people. They want to go to work, they want to perform their duty at work, and they want to go home and be left alone. And I want to tell you, we miss out on a lot of blessings when we treat the church that way. If all we do is come to the building at 10.30 and we have service till 12 and we don't participate in fellowship opportunities, we don't participate in the ministry opportunities to be a servant and a family member who serves others, we miss out on the blessings that God intended for us to have in His church. This is not a building, this is not a corporation, this is not some social club that you have become a member of. This is a family of servants. And all of us need to have that type of heart. When you're hurting, who do you call? When you need something, who do you reach out to? It ought to be the church. It ought to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because they understand our desperate need for connection with one another. And sometimes all we can lean back upon is our relationship with God, but also our relationship with our brethren. And those two relationships will allow us to endure a lot of the issues and problems of this life. But for us to enjoy that, we ourselves have to be a servant and be there for one another. And fourth, we need to be an encouraging family member. I mentioned this just a moment ago, but... There's one individual that I met for the first time in Paraland, Texas, years ago. And I hadn't been a Christian for very long, and as I got to travel and visit other congregations, people, some people stood out to you. And there was, at Paraland, Texas, a gentleman that just stood out to me. And he, as I walked through that door, he didn't know me from Adam. But he walked up to me and he introduced himself and he had the biggest smile on his face and he said, it is so good to see you. And I said, who are you? And he said, my name's Randall May. He said, what's your name? And I said, I'm Chase Palmer. He said, well, it is so good to see you and meet you. And I said, I don't know who you are. But he was the happiest guy I'd ever met in my life. And I thought to myself, he must have had a good day. But, you know, a few weeks later, I saw Randall at a meeting somewhere else, and he walked through the door, and guess what? He remembered my name. He came right up to me and said, Brother Chase, it's good to see you. And he had the biggest smile. I said, who are you? He said, I'm Randall May. I said, That's, I met you down in Paris. Yes, sir. And every interaction I've had with Randall through the years is always the same. He is the happiest guy I think I've ever met in my life. You know Why? Some of you have known Randall for a long time, haven't you? He's not perfect. I want to tell you, he loves to be around God's people. And you can't help but see it when you're around him and you're at church. And he's consistent in that. And I'm not meaning to call him out or anything like that, but I want to tell you, that's a good example for me. 
Because sometimes I walk into church and my heart says, you know what, just ignore, just go sit down, let's get through this service, and let's go home. But that's not the attitude I need to have toward my brethren. Because this church service isn't about, isn't about Chase's feelings, is it? It's about my responsibility to encourage my brethren. And sometimes I might have to work harder at that than other times. But if I want to fulfill my responsibility toward God and be a good example, guess what? I need to be an encouraging person. And I want to challenge you here tonight, if you find yourself being negative or always having something negative to say or negative thoughts, work on that to change your mind. And when you walk through those church doors, tell yourself, hey, I'm at home with God's family, I'm with God's people, and where else would I want to be? <laughs> and see if that doesn't help you change your heart and your focus to becoming an encourager of God's people. In Ephesians 6 and 22, he sent Tychicus that he might comfort their hearts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. What if we all had the same goal of performing those duties every time we came together? To be at peace among ourselves. How important is the peace that you have in this congregation? Some of you have been in other congregations where you didn't have peace. You know, peace doesn't come by accident. Peace is something we have to pursue. God's Word commands us to pursue peace because it's inherent in man to have conflict. But when we submit ourselves to one another and we submit to the plan of God, we can have the peace that God desires for us to have in the church, and we need to be preaching messages of peace and unity. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And you and I ought to be the most peaceful people in this world, seeking to make peace with other individuals at every turn and every opportunity, never compromising the truth of the Word of God. You know, God commands unity. Sometimes we think of unity and we think, you know, we just need to have this meeting and we'll get everybody on the same page and we'll have unity tomorrow. Unity doesn't work that way, does it, generally? But you know where unity comes from? Unity comes from brothers and sisters working together. Because we might not agree in every single detail... We may have different ideas and different opinions, but at the end of the day, aren't we all on the same page that we want to spread the gospel of Christ? And as we spend time laboring with one another, promoting that mission and that message, guess what we're going to begin to find? We're going to begin to find that we have a lot in common. But you can't find out if you have a lot in common if you never spend time with your brethren. And we can never have unity until we're willing to truly spend time with one another and get to know one another within the Lord's kingdom. You see, God is a God of unity. 
Think back to what was written there in Ephesians chapter 2 and the significant division that existed at that time. Ephesians 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus ye who are sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby." And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Think of the distinct division that was present at this time, even in the realm of Christianity. You had these Jewish brethren, you had these Gentiles who were becoming converted to Jesus Christ, and... God tells them what? That partition that was between you has been taken away. That law that you lived by has been destroyed, and there's one new law for all mankind to live by, and that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the great unifying factor in the church. And I want to tell you, if Jesus can unify Jew and Gentile in oneness together, shouldn't we work on the... Differences that we seem to have with some brethren? Shouldn't we be willing to have the conversations to try to promote unity within the body of Christ? Because if Jesus can bring unity to the Jews and the Gentiles, I trust that we can find unity in Him today. As we think about some of the issues that seem to divide us as the Lord's kingdom and His church on this earth. But for that to happen, we've got to be the type of brothers and sisters in the family of God that we need to be. John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus prayed for unity. You know, relationships can be tricky sometimes. Relationships can become strained sometimes. Jesus instructed those that would have a problem with a brother or would be made aware of an issue or problem that they had with a brother that they would quickly resolve those issues. You know why? Because the longer you allow a relationship to be strained, the more likely that that relationship ends up broken and lost forever. But the quicker we are to resolve our issues and our problems and work together in the church, fulfilling the commands of God the more likely we are to save relationships. And when Jesus prayed for unity there in John chapter 17 and verse 20, He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word, that they all may be one. We need to strive for the oneness that Jesus prayed for there in John 17. And I believe we can have unity when everybody gets back to the same standard of the Word of God. When we truly study this and we read this and we let it be the answers to the problems that we might have and we let this be the deciding factor when we're talking about promoting unity and love among brethren, when we're all on the same page that this is the authority, I believe we can have unity. And it's not just saying we have unity to say we have unity for unity's sake, but it's actually unity-based 
upon God's will for His church and His kingdom. And we need to strive for that type of love and oneness. The last verse I want to share with you this evening is, as we close this meeting is the third psalm in verse 8. David writes, Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Do you count it a blessing to be a part of the family of God? Do you count it a blessing to know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you count it a blessing to be able to praise and worship God with like-minded people? Do you count it a blessing from God that you can have encouragement? That you can find comfort? That you can find strength when you're weak? And all of this was made possible because of what Jesus was willing to do for you and I. And He gave us relationships in His body, the church, to enjoy. And these relationships will last for eternity. Tonight, if you're not the type of brother or sister that you know you've needed to be, guess who wants to help you with that? Your family. We stand here as brothers and sisters in Christ, and when we say those words, I hope and pray that you really mean that. You know, when I walk into Walmart and we do our shopping and I see that checker that I see every single time that we go through her line, you know what I don't call her? I don't call her sister. <laughs> I've seen her many times and I know her by name, but I don't call her my sister and I don't hug her neck. But any building that I walk into similar to this one, I walk in and guess what I see? I see brothers and sisters. The church is a place of love. It's a place of mercy and forgiveness. And tonight, if you need the forgiveness of God, your brethren are ready to envelop you in their love because we all know the desperate need we have for the forgiveness of God. And whatever you might have done, I promise you tonight, God will forgive if you repent. And your brothers and sisters will forgive and stand with you as you walk through that process of forgiveness. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never been sanctified by the blood of Christ. You need to be baptized. And through your baptism, you're born again and you're added to this wonderful family. The admonition tonight is don't take your family for granted, but appreciate your brothers and sisters. And let's all strive to be better brethren because of what Jesus has done for us. And if we can help you join that family or be restored to that family this evening, all you have to do is come forward, have a seat, as together we stand and sing.